podcast. I'm your host and natural nutrition practitioner, Josie. Here you'll learn to look to the roots beneath all the different fruits in your life, the ones that have you basking in health and the ones that leave you frustrated. My hope is that the conversations in this space would leave you inspired and empowered to walk out lifelong whole person wellness. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into it. community. I'm here today all by myself to have a deep chat about gluten. And to be honest, I've tried to hit record for this episode a bunch of times and I just haven't been able to pull myself together because A, I've been sick from gluten and B, this topic to me is so weighted because I know there's so many different philosophies and opinions and I can already tell that some people might disagree with my opinion. So I really felt this anxiety that was pushing me to over research to make sure I had all my studies quoted and I I did um, kind of balanced research on both sides and I realized like I just need to hit record and speak from my heart. I know some of the research to back my own points up and I want to open this conversation to have more convos in the future with maybe people who think differently than me on the podcast and kind of ask them questions, pick their brain. But today I'm just hitting record. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to dig into first of all my story with gluten and then a little bit about why people react to it, some of the research behind it, and then yeah, set that stage for future conversations. This is by no means a full, in-depth, multi-dimensional review. It's again, largely my story and my opinion, which I acknowledge is totally shaped by my experience, the people I've worked with, the people I've been taught by, my own echo chambers. And, and though I've started to explore some other philosophies, which is really why, if you didn't see on Instagram, I, I decided to try and reintroduce gluten after a decade and it didn't go well. And I'm gonna get into all of that. So this episode is really just to, to go deeper than what I could on Instagram. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. So I reintroduced gluten a couple weeks ago. I was able to eat sprouted spelt flour without too many symptoms that I'd experienced in the past. So that was super encouraging to me and I wanted to share that on Instagram. But as I continued to branch out into wheat, um, I, had so much belief that it was going to go well, honestly, which which is, you'll learn is new for me as we get into my story. In the past, I've been quite fearful and expectant of kind of adverse reactions. So that was healing in itself just to walk into it with full expectation that my body would receive it. Um, but I can say two weeks ago versus now, I'm at a very different place with it. And I had this whole experience of realizing yet again that gluten is not something that, that works for me and my body right now. And in that decision, I, I don't share this with a victim mentality, which is something I speak a lot about with clients because I know just like any client that I'm helping kind of take breaks from food that I could eat it. No one's actually forcing me or telling me that I don't have to. Um, so I choose a more empowering mindset that says something more like I don't eat gluten, not I can't eat gluten. Even celiacs, you can still choose to eat gluten. I know lots of celiacs that still eat gluten or drink beer or don't totally 
give it up and yet they have these health problems. A lot of it is gonna come down to your narrative, your mindset, and I really encourage people to speak with this, I don't eat that or I'm choosing not to eat that because I feel so much better without it. We're gonna get into more of this mindset, motivations, narratives around removing gluten from your diet later in the episode. Um, but let's really get into, before I even go deeper into my story, what the heck gluten is. I saw this super funny video online from, I think it was like Jimmy Kimmel, and they interviewed people in New York um, who you know, ate a gluten-free diet. They said, do you eat gluten-free? And some, most of the people said yes. And then they asked, what is gluten? And no one could answer it. So let me educate you so you can be the one to answer this if someone asks you. Gluten is essentially a family of proteins. It's the best way to describe it without getting too sciencey, although we will get into the science. It is made up of two components, prolamins and glutalins. Um, prolamins are generally the, the protein part that is responsible for any sort of reaction in people that can't tolerate gluten. And more of us than we might realize probably can't tolerate them because these prolamins are actually just really difficult to digest naturally. The enzymes we secrete don't really break them down super well. So they're, they're pretty resistant to that digestive process, unlike other proteins which have the right enzymes, they'll break down, get digested, absorbed. And that's why many people struggle with gluten. These prolamins are, they're not only found in wheat, like some might think. Uh, the one in wheat is called gliadin. And then there's also secolin and barley, hordine and rye. And even in oats, there's a prolamin called avenins. Um, and that's why going on a gluten-free diet and still eating oats can be sometimes doable for some people and sometimes not. Getting gluten-free oats is super important if you're following a gluten-free diet, though the prolamin levels are seeming to be smaller in oats. So that's why some people can tolerate them and others can't. But in general, even if you have a sensitivity to gluten, you might be able to handle some rye or some barley and not wheat because the prolamins are all a little bit different in each of those proteins. But in general, if you're eating a gluten-free diet, you're avoiding all of these things, including other grains like spelt. The reason why in celiac disease it's worse is that these proteins are made up of these peptides called um, epitopes. And there's one in particular from wheat alpha-2 gliadin that people with celiac disease have receptors that respond super strongly to these peptides. So basically they initiate this like intense immune response that will inflame the GI tract um, particularly, but also have um, other extra gastrointestinal symptoms, which means basically symptoms that aren't you know, gut related, not bloating, not diarrhea, not vomiting. Um, so that's why lots of people go gluten-free. Uh, obviously when you're celiac, you need to. And then you also have things like wheat allergy, which is more of like an anaphylactic thing. And then non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which are people that are really sensitive. They can't break down those prolamins at all. And the way that this indigested prolamin happens in their body is just really uncomfortable. So that would be someone with, with non-celiac gluten sensitivity which is very real. And then oftentimes, again, we'll get into this later in the episode, but gluten is just a problem for a lot of people. And so if you have IBS, certain mental illnesses, certain skin conditions, pretty much uh, there's research around all of these things. When you eliminate gluten, they will ameliorate and hopefully, if not clear up, it'll at least speed up your healing because gluten can be a trigger to a lot of things internally. Again, we're gonna get into this, but I will, I will, get into my story and be vulnerable with you guys. 
um, and get into why I ditched the <laughs> the protein that we all love and that's responsible for the chewiness of bread um, back when I was 13. So in my childhood, I actually had uh, GI issues like pretty much my whole life. Thinking back, I have so many memories of sitting on the toilet for honestly hours, like my legs falling asleep because I was constipated. I, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Um, I guess by the time I hit 13, it was I had that social awareness to be like, hey, this feels different than other people. And you know, when you get called the farting queen your whole childhood from your from your grade school class, um, it does a number on your heart. And eventually, I had that awareness to be like, ah, like I think something's wrong. Um, and so you know, chatted with my parents. Um, they took me to a naturopathic doctor for the first time, which really was my first real exposure to holistic health. Aside from maybe this guy who taught us djembe and drum club and smelt like patchouli, which I thought it was, you know, he was a hippie dude, but now I am his soul sister. So um, other than that, this naturopathic doctor was kind of my first experience to holistic health. She ran a bunch of tests, which by the way, she did live blood analysis, which was my first time ever being exposed to it. And I thought it was so cool. And she did, you know, stool tests, blood work, saliva tests. She did the whole gambit. We spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars, my parents did, on different tests that were sent to the States and stuff. And anyways, when that all came back, she put me on um, this reset diet, which was I was like a month or two or something like that without gluten, dairy, and then some other things like corn, soy, sugar, and anything processed essentially. So that's when I first went gluten-free and more or less I stayed gluten-free until now. I've had a few instances of trying to reintroduce it, but in general I've been gluten-free for over a decade, 13 years or so. Um, and since then, since the age of 13, I have seen the whole gluten-free lifestyle explode. So many people I know were starting to learn about gluten and the possible effect it was having on them, trying to stay away from it. More and more I felt less crazy because I felt like, you know, I definitely um, had some eating disorder issues in my adolescence, young adulthood. Um, I think because I felt so like I was missing out because no one was eating gluten-free at the time when I started. It was super rare, it was weird, none of my friends. Um, and, and now it's like quite popular and so many people eat gluten-free, eating out is so much easier. Yet all of a sudden in this past year, I've seen the gluten-free diet come under scrutiny again by certain people online who are saying things like, you know, it's not the gluten, it's something else. Um, it's, you know, the glyphosate and we'll get into all that later, but I feel like there is some truth to all these different opinions and stories and anecdotal evidence and philosophies. And I think we need to make space for everyone to be able to live whatever dietary lifestyle is gonna actually help them thrive um, and, to, and to explore within that. In my professional opinion though, I do think that there are more people who do not tolerate gluten for whatever reason than we realize. And I think a lot more people could really benefit from eliminating gluten and not just with gluten-free pizza and gluten-free ice cream cones, but eliminating this trigger and also adding in a ton of fresh whole foods, nutrient dense foods, healing broths, like really focusing on gut health. Whenever I'm working on gut healing with a client, nine times out of 10 at least, I'll recommend a short-term break from gluten to see how their body responds. In my group program, Gut Healing Academy, for some people, it's a complete lifestyle shift and they've never eaten super clean. And obviously they're gonna feel better because they're cutting out processed foods. But I've had a few people do the program who already kind of live the lifestyle, but you know, maybe had sourdough or like had gluten. 
Um, and they have noticed that, hey, I didn't ever think I was sensitive to gluten, but I took a break and I just lost 10 pounds without trying. Or my cycle completely regulated and I'm no longer on the couch for five days, like in so much pain. So that really has caught my attention too in my own practice. But anyway, I do just think that there's there's so much more I've learned about non-gastrointestinal effects of gluten that it makes so much sense to me that it could be a root problem for a lot more people than we realize. So back to my story, I stayed off gluten beyond that protocol. Um, I worked with a holistic nutritionist and that is when I knew I wanted to do this as a career. She made me a meal plan and taught me so much about food, um, more than just cutting things out. You know, she taught me how to ferment and she's the one who got me eating meat for breakfast and kind of challenging the narrative around like our current, you know, dietary culture, the standard North American diet. You can just ditch gluten and still eat a standard North American diet, right? Gluten-free cereal for breakfast, non-dairy milk with seed oils and sugar and crap, gluten-free sandwich with processed, um, you know, lunch meat. Like you can, do that um chips you know you can find gluten-free things that are still just the standard north american diet so um my journey with her was you know really learning more about nutrition and it got me really passionate about healing with food nowadays i definitely prefer things from scratch that are whole foods but i do have a good mix of leaning on good clean convenient options but also doing a lot from scratch and uh, all that to say i've I've essentially been gluten-free now um, for a decade, and there was a few times that I did try and reintroduce. Um, some accidental, some on purpose. The most notable was when I went through a time of deep spiritual healing. And part of that, I mean, part of it was beautiful and good, and I believe God worked in my heart and really liberated me of things. But there's another element that I really cared what people thought of me, and I think, to be honest, I, I felt a lot of unspoken and perceived pressure from my faith community to be healed because there was other people whose stories included, you know, being healed of celiac disease. Like God supernaturally healed them and they had zero symptoms and they can eat as much gluten as they want. And so I, you know, I went up for prayer. I asked people to, to pray that God would heal me, but it never really felt right in my spirit because it, it wasn't really a burden for me. Like I, I was at this point in my journey with food that I was choosing to stay away from certain foods because I was trying to care for my body and I just felt like I thrived without them. So I didn't really see the need for healing. I didn't feel like I was sick and needed healing. Yet, I again felt this pressure like, oh, maybe I should just be able to eat whatever. Uh, maybe I should just be able to have cake and pancakes and whatever and else is having and be okay. But if we were honest, do you think all those people are actually okay, you know? So anyway, I, I did think, you know, there must be something wrong with me. Maybe I don't have enough faith, like all these super perplexed, um, deep questions with God. And so I pushed myself in, you know, there was a season of time where I was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to still eat gluten-free, but I'll kind of let loose with cross-contamination, things like communion at church. If you don't know what that is, the Eucharist, um, it's this spiritual practice that we do as Christians to both remember and participate in the life and death of Jesus and really remind ourselves and live into the gospel of grace that we believe in. It's this real act and experience, but it is kind of symbolic too, in the sense of we're eating um, bread and we're drinking wine. And so basically, I mean, the way it looks at a big church is usually a little wafer and uh, wine. Some, some denominations will do juice if they're 
you know, opposed to alcohol, but we're part of an Anglican community and it's held in super high regard. So if I went to two services on Sunday and one on a Wednesday, there's a chance where I was ingesting gluten, you know, three times in a week. And then on top of that, like eating out and trying to be let, let loose and cross-contamination and dinner with friends and things like that. I had soup with friends and they said, you know, there's one spoon of all-purpose flour in this whole big pot. And I'm like, I'll be fine. The following day, I kid you not, I woke up with this insane viral type rash all over my torso. It looked like chicken pox. Uh, I thought I had chicken pox and I was so confused because I was in my 20s and I'd already had it as a kid and it was very, very weird. Was it a coincidence that I ate gluten the night before? Like maybe. Um, was it related though? Probably. And the more I've um, explored this and I've tried to reintroduce, I'm realizing like there is just this huge link to the immune system, especially in people who might be susceptible to autoimmunity, which I think I am. I have never been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, but there are a few in my family and I have a few symptoms that would at least put me at risk. And so I'll get into some of the research around that shortly here. Um, but just to wrap up my story, after this incident and after kind of a year of just getting sick, like every month or two, like very sick, coughing, congestion, I realized I think gluten is actually affecting me even though it's in such small amounts. So I really decided to go like 100% gluten-free, really take it seriously, had to have some hard conversations at church about the Eucharist. At the time there was no gluten-free option just for theological reasons. Um, now we have a low gluten option which, which works. But it was super interesting to me that I stopped getting sick every month or two after I took gluten out, even in this small, small amount. And it's true that even in a small, small amount, if you have an autoimmune condition or celiac, which also is an autoimmune condition, just the tiniest amount of gluten can set you off. It can set that immune system on fire. So I really try and be careful now. Um, but then when I married Jared and we started grocery shopping at this local organic farm, which is just so beautiful and wonderful. We love the owners. Um, the owner was telling us about these stories of celiacs being able to eat their sourdough bread, which was freshly milled organic sourdough bread. And you know, he had his opinion about it and it really kind of opened my eyes to like, okay, maybe I should try that because um, letting loose and trying low quality gluten in a soup that, you know, I don't know what the flour source was, if it was sprayed with glyphosate versus, you know, a very high quality product, it might be different. And nutritionally, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I'd rather eat a really clean piece of sourdough that has wheat and gluten in it than I would a gluten-free bread that's full of crap. And it had been a couple years, I felt pretty healthy, so I'm like, let's try, what do I have to lose? So Jared and I decided to try. I pretty much felt it instantly. Mind you, I was quite fearful because just of my past, I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work. And sure enough, I reacted, though it tasted so freaking good. So I probably ate a little bit too much, um, but the reaction was quite instant for me and it was gastrointestinal. I just felt pain. The, the main symptom for me in high school and that recurs when I've eaten gluten is this intense like stabbing pain, honestly like TMI, but right from my butthole like to kind of like my, not my heart, but just directly under there, um, my stomach probably. And it feels like a knife or a sword just stabbing me. Um, and so that was pretty instant and I was like, okay, I don't think it's worth it, but it wasn't as bad as in high school, probably because I mean, I was only having couple pieces of bread in that week and so maybe let's try once per year and just keep working on our healing keep working on our gut health keep working on our nervous systems and our mental health and see what happens 
And so this year um, I was grocery shopping. I kind of forgot about this, but I saw the sprouted spelt flower and spelt is a hybrid of wheat. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's different. It still contains gluten. Um, I haven't eaten a lot of it in my life, but it caught my attention. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try my reintroduction of the year. So I made this banana loaf with sprouted spelt flour and ate it. And I ate it a few times and the GI symptoms weren't too bad. Mind you, I was in a really stressful season. This was only two weeks ago, so I'm still in that really stressful season, but it was like an extremely stressful couple weeks before leading up to that. So I already had some GI symptoms related to stress, um, not sleeping, dehydration, all these things. So I, I didn't feel my best. And so it was harder to kind of notice those little symptoms, but in general, it wasn't as intense as I could remember. So then I moved on to wheat bread. So we went to the farm, we bought the sourdough. I tried just like a small amount at first. And again, it wasn't as bad as it has been in the past, but I started to notice, so like a few days into eating gluten that I had joint pain. Um, I found that interesting, but I was like, okay, maybe it's unrelated. And then basically like a couple days into all of this, I got really congested and sick and I hadn't been sick in, in a while. Um, sore throat, coughing, sneezing, drippy eyes. And again, I'm like, is it related? And the answer was, I don't know. So I'm gonna try and push through. I told Jared, I'm gonna try to eat gluten for two weeks because I feel like that gives enough time to really know, like, is this the gluten or is it a coincidence that I'm getting sick? Even though I know everything that would tell me, yeah, it's probably related, I just really wanted to know if that was true. So then I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna eat it for two weeks and then do the celiac test because I've never been able to do it successfully and eat it for two weeks. And all of this is really a win for me because it showed me how liberated I have been from fear um, and I celebrate that. And even the healing my body's had that I could tolerate a little bit of spelt flour and be largely okay. The fact that I had the freedom to kind of test where my body was at and explore and experiment with diet, it was just so cool. But here I am still and choosing to stay away from it. Some people would say it's the glyphosate. Um, it's not actually the gluten that's the problem. It's, it's the quality of the wheat or gluten that we're eating. And, you know, these grains are being sprayed with glyphosate. And it, that is horrendous and terrible. And it's disgusting and scary how much glyphosate is allowed in our health. It really should be banned. It's quite beyond me. And don't get me wrong, like things like freshly milled flour or better quality gluten, definitely, if you're not sensitive at all to gluten, then that is a better option. Get unsprayed, get organic, get sourdough. But what's most important for me to talk about here as I wrap up my story is some of the heart stuff that went on beneath this reintroduction. In retrospect, I think that Instagram and this narrative and this big now fad of like reintroducing gluten was a really big undercurrent that motivated me to do this and to share my journey. And even the positives of my journey at the beginning, I felt like, oh, I should share that. That should be celebrated. That's the current narrative. It's trendy, it's popular. I wanna be part of that. And it's not that I'm bashing that. I'm really, really happy for people that that's their reality. But I think the dangerous part is that that was one of my core motivations. And the reality is I really don't know what my diagnosis is. I don't have a diagnosis. After this experience, I'm wondering if maybe I have an actual wheat allergy because it was almost instant with the sourdough having teary eyes and congestion. And every day I didn't eat it, it went away. And the days I did, I was so sick. And because I had less of a reaction to spelt, I, I do wonder about that, but but I don't have a real diagnosis and, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with keeping it out, but 
the reality is, friends, I just feel way more free when I don't eat gluten. And it saddens me that, that Instagram has such a strong hold on our food choices. And for me, I think that really opened my eyes. So really check your motivations, check your narrative, check the trendiness of what you're trying to do in your diet and why you're doing it. I had to miss so many things in the two weeks that I was eating gluten. I had to miss like being with my people and community. I had to miss work. I had to miss church. I had to miss like multiple social plans. I had to go to extra appointments to get blood work and counseling. And I did do the celiac test. It came back negative. I, uh, I don't know if I really ate enough to make it accurate. I say I ate it for two weeks, but I did take like two days off within those two weeks at a time, a couple times, just cause I couldn't do it. I could not quite make the full two weeks. I stopped. And so anyway, all that rambling goes to say that like I was so committed to this narrative on Instagram that it was my husband who really had to talk me off the cliff and be like, dude, I'm concerned for your mental health, for your immune system. Like you, I don't think you, you should be eating gluten. I was literally sick like the whole two weeks. Like again, the days I didn't eat it, the congestion kind of lifted a little bit. I felt like I was getting better and then I would eat it the next day and I felt like I was getting worse. It was like this instant overreaction in my immune system. So I wanna talk about this link between gluten and autoimmunity. Of course, celiac is an autoimmune condition, but there's many other autoimmune conditions. And there's research that shows that not only in celiac, but in other autoimmune conditions, so they call it non-celiac autoimmunity, gluten can trigger autoimmune reactions. This study was done in Israel, and it just goes to show you that celiac or not, if you have an autoimmune condition, gluten is a factor. This study showed that there are multiple detrimental aspects of gluten that affect the human health of people with autoimmunity. They talk about gluten affecting the microbiome, so it can affect kind of your actual bacterial makeup in the gut. It can increase intestinal permeability, so it can cause little punctures in your intestines. It can cause nutrients to leak out, like bigger molecules than what they really should be. Um, it can boost oxidative stress it will again have these immunogenic cytotoxic pro-inflammatory autoimmune responses and it decreases cell viability and so like i i see this in my practice with live blood i mean i can't diagnose things or like confirm but anecdotally i can say that sometimes when people stop eating gluten and then come back their cells are actually like so much stronger outside of autoimmunity so if you're like i don't have celiac i don't have any other autoimmune issues everything looks good um, maybe you're fine with gluten, I, I don't know. But there is still this possibility that even in those without autoimmunity, that, that gluten could be affecting you. Gluten-containing foods are usually, at least in, in North America, pretty high in FODMAPs, which can often activate these kind of like IBS-type symptoms. And so that's why, I mean, IBS is a whole other episode on its own, and I could dig into that. But basically, like, FODMAPs can really trigger that. And so gluten itself, that actual family of proteins found in those different grains we talked about, that part more activates the immune system, but those FODMAPs can activate more of those GI symptoms so it is possible that gluten is also affecting you um, without having you know that immune reaction today's episode is brought to you by roots and fruits and market our very own online health food store that contains so many gluten-free options for all our gluten-free friends go check it out and don't miss our huge restock that's happening in the next month there is again that argument about glyphosate and about how you know our grains are sprayed now and that could be possibly why more people are reacting 
it's definitely a possibility and I can't say for sure, but one thing I'll notice based on my research is if you look at kind of the timeline of things, okay, there is there is a five-fold increase in celiac disease between 1950 and 1995. So that's a significant increase. And glyphosate only really started to be like sprayed in, in North America around 1994. So the chances of all of that five-fold increase happening in between 1994 and 1995, I would say are pretty slim. I have no way of really confirming that, but the reality is it was a five-fold increase between 1950 and 1995. So I don't think glyphosate is the only issue here. Of course, glyphosate is so detrimental to our gut health. It can destroy our microbiome and make things super difficult, but it is not just the glyphosate. It is true that our, our wheat uh, in North America and generally our North American nutrition standards are a lot lower than the rest of the world, but you know, it's possible. I've never done it myself that these people who are going to Europe and saying, you know, I can eat the gluten just fine. Um, maybe it's that it's not sprayed. Maybe it's that there's less FODMAPs because the way they're preparing it or whatever but I'd be curious to actually run labs on these people because again it's not always just GI symptoms so you know people will get bloated in North America go to Europe eat the bread not get bloated and say I'm fine but what's happening in their immune system we don't know we'd have to really follow that to know for sure another study showed a 6.4 fold increase in celiac disease between 1990 and 2009 this was a Scottish study done on kids it was a pediatric study and Honestly, I can't even imagine what that jump would be between 1990 and 2024 if that research was more recent because like, again, when I first went gluten-free in 2013, it was not popular. None of my friends were gluten-free. One really big issue that I feel passionate about, and this is why I try to help so many people go gluten-free if they suspect in the slightest that it's bugging them. One in 100 people are said to have celiac disease, but get this, around 85% of individuals with celiac disease in Canada remain undiagnosed. This is so sad to me because that means that there are so many more people in our lives that actually um, gluten is a really big problem and probably one of the underlying roots to why they're having health issues, but they're not being told that because if they've done the celiac test and it comes back negative, their doctor says you're fine to eat gluten. There's a few reasons I think this misdiagnosis or undiagnosis happens. I think a um, lots of people are already kind of limiting their gluten or cutting it out because they feel better without it. So then again, doing that celiac test is not gonna be more accurate. Secondly, I think unfortunately many doctors dismiss people's symptoms um, even after a negative test. Again, if it comes back, they're like, you're fine, eat gluten, but really it could still be having a problem. I mean, bless doctors' hearts, but there's just not a lot of nutrition training that doctors get. So all the things I'm talking about today, like the impact of something like gluten and the microbiome, I really don't think that many doctors really have gotten behind that information and research and seen the anecdotal evidence because they're spending their day writing prescriptions and caring for people with like severe physical trauma, things like that. Um, they don't have the time and, and the space to like be researching these things like someone like me. And so there are great doctors out there. What if these doctors were asking, you know, what are you, what are you eating? Because before prescribing um, an antidepressant, like talk to someone about their diet and are they eating a ton of gluten? There is a link between depression and gluten between schizophrenia and gluten even. There's actually so much research on that. And this started actually after World War II. Researchers linked gluten and schizophrenia because certain populations were ending this kind of rationing of wheat that was happening around the war. And they noticed that as this increase was happening, there was a correlation 
between that and psychosis, like first episode psychosis. So people who have never experienced psychosis um, after the war, eating all this wheat and literally experiencing psychosis. So that spurred on this idea of schizophrenia and gluten. And there's so many more studies on it now that like a lot of people with schizophrenia have either celiac or gluten intolerance. And imagine that was just the standard of care for people with schizophrenia and that nutrition counseling was part of their treatment and management of that illness. Okay, another factor in this increase and uptick of gluten intolerance and celiac, I would say are environmental factors that have changed. So this cytotoxic kind of reaction that gluten can cause, it is this, like gluten can be toxic to people, right? And our bodies are designed to handle a certain amount of toxicity, but in general, we are just overloaded with way too many toxins, perfumes, hairsprays, makeup, dish soap, laundry soap, walking down the aisle at Walmart, bleach, like all these things, hair dyes, like I could go on and on and on. Mind you, medications, pharmaceuticals, that is so much toxicity for our bodies to handle, especially if we're not being intentional about caring for our liver. And, um, so there's this environmental factor that I think just puts us, our bodies at a more sensitive spot. And then there's other environmental factors like a very recent study from 2023 in Italy that linked this big environmental factor with gluten intolerance was like how babies are born. Um, so if you're born by C-section and you have early antibiotic use, which often they're gonna go hand in hand, like as soon as you have one medical intervention, you're gonna have more. It puts you at a greater risk for developing celiac disease because of the disruption to the gut microbiome. Okay, so increase in glyphosate, increase in toxic load, increase in autoimmunity for so many reasons. It's skyrocketing, guys. The, the gluten intolerance, non-celiac, whatever, whether it's IBS symptoms, whether it's celiac disease, it is skyrocketing. And I think we just need to, like as much as I really love the concept of like going back to the basics and, you know, freshly milled bread, our bodies have not adapted to the stress, to the toxicity that we have to process daily. So I think it makes sense that something like gluten just has to be part of our adaptation. Something like gluten is a, these days a pretty easy thing to just let go of and let's reduce that load. Let's just acknowledge that, hey, our bodies are dealing with so much more than they did a hundred years ago. So to do what worked a hundred years ago, sure, it might work for you. But for a lot of people, that's not gonna work because how many more of us have, were born by C-section or whose babies were born by C-section? How many more of us were formula fed? Formula didn't exist way back when. And I'm grateful it exists now because my baby would not be okay without it, to be honest. And that's a whole other episode. But the point is that we can't compare and expect that just eating sourdough or eating like our ancestors did and still eating gluten, but not actually talking about the rest of the conversation is gonna be the only answer. And on that note, gluten-free foods are not always healthier. So if you're in it for health, then you really got to watch and read your ingredients. It's, it's sad to me when people go gluten-free and obviously they'll feel better because of everything we've talked about, but then they're eating all these gluten-free breads that have like all these fillers and oils and sugars and starches and gums to make up for that delicious chewy binding property of gluten. So just be careful. If you're contemplating this, read the ingredients, like eat the gluten-free pizza. Sure. Like 80, 20, whatever, whatever works for you, but it's still not a daily thing, right? Pizza is pizza. Ice cream is ice cream. Bread is bread. So in moderation, and I guess I just want to open you guys up to the possibility if you're not gluten-free that maybe you should just try. Um, don't bash it before you try it kind of thing. I have bashed keto for years and recently I felt convicted that I've never actually researched it and I've never really tried it. I've kind of just 
followed a narrative that I intuitively agreed with. And that might have enough substance to it, but I realized, huh, I've never actually looked into it. So right now my husband and I are eating keto for the next month or so and uh, for a few reasons, but but one of them is like, I want to be humbled. And if you're in that spot with gluten after hearing this episode, I want to ask you a few questions. Um, like once enough people in your life have started to talk about this, you've probably already started to question whether it's part of your issues. Um, but here's a few questions to get yourself thinking. Like, okay, number one, do you have skin issues? Do you have eczema? Do you have psoriasis, itchy spots, dry skin, random rashes? Do you have little raised bumps around your elbows or knees? You might benefit from a gluten-free diet. Obviously, if you have GI symptoms, you might benefit from a gluten-free diet. Do you get sick a lot? You might benefit from a gluten-free diet. Are you losing hair? You might benefit from a gluten-free diet. If you're gonna choose to do this, um, don't take it lightly. Again, really focus on nutrition and healing from the inside out, not just cutting something out. Crowd it out with more nutritious foods. And you also need to give it time to actually see if it's gonna work for you. I always see my clients one month after their first appointment because in one month, we're gonna know whether or not it's working. You might not see a complete change or a complete transformation, but you'll, you'll know if you're moving in the right direction and if it's doing something positive. Even just a small exposure is enough for you to miss seeing the benefits of what going gluten-free could really offer you. And finally, I wanna talk about mindset. This transitions nicely, but again, that deprivation mindset, it focuses on, I can't eat gluten. I can't eat this because it has gluten, even for celiacs, when the truth is you, you really can't, you shouldn't, you're allergic. Still, watch your language and the way you talk about it. Recently, we had a church potluck and our priest was like, you know, if you're gluten-free, there's a table at the back. And if you want food that sucks and tastes like crap, go there. And I kind of felt a little bit offended. Mind you, after eating the sourdough for that past week, like I, I agree, um, it's very yummy. But find foods that you love, use it as an adventure to kind of explore the realm of gluten-free. It's taken me years. I mean, there's lots more products nowadays, but like the reality is there are really good options out there and then there's ones that taste like cardboard. So it's a little bit of trial and error. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm always sharing some of my favorite things. So do that if you're not. But also again, cooking things from scratch, trying different recipes, keep that mindset open, keep it towards healing and not deprivation or cutting out. Um, remember to advocate for yourself, like both in your language, but also in, in the medical system. Like if you're gonna pursue a diagnosis or gonna do blood work with either, you know, a medical doctor or naturopathic doctor, you have to advocate for yourself either way. I wanna leave you with a couple of other options. Maybe you've eliminated gluten already and you feel better and you're like me and you're like, I kinda wish I knew if I had celiac, but I really am unwilling to eat the ridiculous amount of delicious gluten that it takes because it just takes too much for my life. It steals and robs too much. So there's two tests that I offer and I wanna to put to you guys who are listening. There is a genetic test from Nutrigenomics in Toronto and through this company, I'm able to peek into your HLA genotype and assess your risk for celiac. So it's not really an official diagnosis. It's, it's more just beneficial information to estimate the possibility that you have celiac or not. The benefit of doing this test is that it's less invasive than say having a colonoscopy, um, which they'll often do to, to fully diagnose celiac. 
Um, it, it's basically like if you have a medium or high risk genotype and you have symptoms, you're probably celiac and you're probably just gonna be better without gluten. The benefit of having that official diagnosis through your GP is there's a little bit of a tax break on your groceries in Canada, which can be handy, especially nowadays. Um, but again, if you're like me and you haven't had the ability to follow through with doing that test, um, totally get it. And I'm just thinking of this off the cuff. I don't know if this would be a thing, probably depends on your doctor, but maybe if you had that test done and you had a high risk genotype, maybe they would write you a, a note officially diagnosing you with celiac. Maybe you could still get that tax break. Maybe I'll try it and let you guys know. That is a really good one. And then the second test is Enjoy. I absolutely love working with Enjoy Microbiome. They're really actually a tech company. They have an app and they're trying to lead the way in using technology to predict things like Crohn's and colitis. How they do this, Again, in the same vein, they're trying to, to make it less invasive to get these diagnoses. How they're doing this is through an app where you track your symptoms, you track your bowel movements, and then also a microbiome test through your poop. So the Enjoy Microbiome Test Kit has three sample totals, which I absolutely love because most of the other microbiome companies, they only take one sample. That is not a full picture of what's going on in your body because that changes day to day. So you take one sample every five days with Enjoy. It gives a bit more of an accurate picture of your microbiome and how it changes over time. Then they compare your microbiome with all the data that you've tracked in the app. That's where that tech component comes in because they have it set up where it can point out any interesting correlations between the data you've tracked and the actual bacteria that's showing up from your poop in the lab. So that's where they might be able to identify trigger foods like gluten, for example. And with all th this information, they provide you with a complete microbiome analysis, which goes into the diversity of your bacteria, their stability, all the levels of each the type of bacteria which is so so cool it includes a metabolic panel your overall inflammation score which that is super helpful and then then byproducts of bacteria things like b vitamins gaba production and so many other insightful pieces that can give you really valuable information on what's currently going on in your body we will have these enjoy microbiome stool kits available at roots and fruits market in the next month which is super exciting but for now i'm gonna link my affiliate link in the show notes and you can click that and then automatically you'll get a discount at checkout which is super handy because who doesn't love saving money and then with that too, you can also get a call with me to go over your report and talk about kind of a plan. So guys, I hope you learned something new today. I think anxiety can really cripple us from just speaking from our heart and it was really empowering for me to do that today. So I hope that this blessed you in some way, whether you learned something for yourself or someone else. Next week, I'm chatting with Dr. Spencer DeSanti from Living Wellness Dental in Calgary, Alberta. He is my dentist and an amazing dentist. He has a biological and holistic approach to dentistry and he has people from all over the country flying in to see him, guys. His clinic is expanding. They are wonderful. I absolutely love everything he has to say. And in our episode, we talked about mouth breathing, hydroxyapatite. We talked about the oral microbiome, tooth organ relationships. And if all of this is new to you, you're gonna for sure wanna tune in. If you're kind of familiar with it, tune in anyways, because you're gonna learn something from his wealth of knowledge. I think we'll have to have him back on to get even more in depth on different things, but it was such a good conversation and I cannot wait to get that to you. So remember, move your body, drink some water, be kind, tend your soil. We'll catch you next week.